You are listening to the Fear Being Average podcast, a show based around health, fitness, and performance. And I am your host, as always, Brandon Rinka. On today's episode, we look at eight scientific proven ways to increase the likelihood of success. This is a very important topic to dive into. As science says, only 8% of people actually achieve their goals. So throughout this episode, we're going to look at these eight strategies in detail to make sure we increase the likelihood and eliminate any potential negative aspect that's going to get in the way of us achieving success and achieving our goals. As always, guys, please make sure you rate the show, share the show, and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, keep continuing and listening for new up-to-date episodes here on the Fear Being Average podcast. Enjoy today's episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode number six of the Fear Being Average podcast health and fitness series. And today we're actually jumping into the performance aspect. So we look, look at it from a health, fitness, and performance point of view. And today we're looking at the topic eight scientific proven ways to increase the likelihood of achieving success. Bit of a mouthful there, but at the end of the day, it comes down to ways that we can guarantee success if we follow these principles, or at least really increase the likelihood of those things being accomplished, right? I guess there is no guarantee depending on outside variables, but these are some proven principles, research-based principles that work, not only for individuals, but companies alike. Um, And obviously these principles are not in strategies you know work without the research but it's just nice to have the backing of these things actually being proven to you know develop our psychological approach to to these goals and to creating success so again we're going to jump right into it here with eight different approaches that you guys can implement to make sure that whatever we're going after whatever we're trying to accomplish whatever we're trying to achieve we have an increased likelihood of doing so. And we're eliminating a lot of the variables that get in our way of creating the success in life that we want. All right, guys. So number one here, we're going to jump into visualization. Now, these are done in no particular order, uh, these eight. Uh, There's eight that are really, really effective and probably the eight most practical strategies you guys can adopt to achieve a greater likelihood of success. So visualization number one is big, right? So what is visualization in terms of when you hear that terminology? It's basically being able to see the result, right? Putting yourself in the state of seeing yourself being successful. Um, and there's a lot of strategies people can use. Um, even one I've been using recently, when I go, when I go to bed before, uh, before I go to sleep, I adopt a nighttime ritual and I do something of a form of visualization and I, and I visualize all the things I did well that day. Um, cause typically we, we go towards the negative and we think about all the things that we didn't get done. Right. So it's good to remind yourself of the things that we did well and visualization is a forward thinking approach to that. So it's allowing yourself to visualize this success coming to fruition, which isn't always easy to do, right? We, we don't necessarily see that success uh, on an everyday scale, um, you know, it's few and far between for the most part in a, in a common society. We don't get that example all the time. We're not privy to it unless we do our research and we, we outsource the information. So taking the time to see yourself succeeding, to see yourself, you know, doing what you set out to do is really important, right? That's the mental aspect of achievement, 
right, is actually believing you can. Because at the end of the day, if you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And if you can't see yourself doing the thing that you're setting out to do, there's a far, you know, pretty pretty good likelihood that you're not going to achieve it, right? That the the stats are going to go up of you probably going to fail more than you're going to succeed if you can't see it yourself because now you're looking for an outside external resource to give you that feedback that you're looking for which isn't very practical right you're probably not going to find someone who's who who paints that picture for you um and and the research is is pretty evident behind it as well right so you know visualization here is, is basically a mental practice that that can be very time saving very cost efficient um, method and it simulates training in certain occupations and sports um, that work really, really well. And scientific studies have shown that visualization has many of the same effects on the brain as physical activity, which is pretty cool, right? So if you think about physical activity, and that's strengthening your body, becoming a more effective performer, um, developing mobility, putting on some lean muscle tissue. So the studies are now showing that what we do physically through exerting you know, stimulus to the body, we can accomplish basically the same thing through mental preparation and mental training. And visualization is a form of mental training. Um, Studies have shown that while physical practice improves performance more than anything else, mental practice can enhance performance as well, which is really neat. It's really cool to hear, right? Because sometimes we, you know, we believe in the efficacy of doing physical performance in development, but we have a lack of attention that goes into the mental preparation, right? And, and we almost have a disconnect that mental preparation is a waste of time. You know, what is, what's mindfulness going to do for me? What's, you know, manifestation going to do for me? What's visualization going to do for me? Well, the studies show it, it does a lot for you and, and it really sets you up for success. Um, so some visualization practices, they, it helps wire the brain for perception, motor control and memory, and incidentally, boosts confidence. Um, and that's a major key to success, right? If you have the confidence to approach an activity or an endeavor or an adventure, you're more likely to succeed in it, right? If you go in there with your head down, with very low confidence, very low self-esteem, um, very low, I guess, belief in yourself, there's, a again, a high likelihood that it's not going to come to fruition, right? You're not going to succeed in the way that you see because you're already going in there and you're discrediting yourself. And that's really important. And it's pretty cool. They actually have a lot of research on, you know, how mental preparation can translate right directly into sport. Um, so they did a cool research study on golf performance, uh, which suggests that it is important to use visualization away from events that require present awareness. For example, between practices. So if you think about it, rather than a golfer just show up onto the golf course, get to the first tee and hit the ball, they think about their swing. They think about how they're going to approach the tee. They think about their setup. They think about the score. They think about how they're going to, you know, blur out the noise around them, how they're going to connect to the present moment. They take the time to visually see themselves go through it and how their backswing is and how, what their follow through is like, um, what their body is doing within the swing. All those things play a major role. And the more you visualize it, it's that mental reps a- aspect, right? It's like when you were playing a sport, if you played a sport growing up, hopefully everyone played a sport of some sort. Uh, and the coach would say, get some mental reps in. So when you're not actually practicing physically on the field, that you would watch your peers and that you would adopt technique by just visually 
seeing it. And we can do the same thing when we take the time to visually see our success being created in between those physical reps. And there's pretty cool, uh, another study about muscular strength, right? And this one was pretty unique. It says scientific studies are showing that visualization by itself actually helps build strength. So someone thinking about this right now went just went, yes, I don't actually have to do workout. I can just think myself into growing bigger muscles. Well, not exactly, but there is some relevance because one study actually revealed that a 13.5% improvement in strength in subjects who merely imagined maximum flexing of biceps. So when you're thinking about the flex and you're and this kind of goes into that mind muscle connection when we talk about working out and that's feeling the muscle, thinking about the muscle, visualizing it fully contracting, squeezing and having a whole bunch of blood pumping to the muscle that there was actually some relevance and correlation to the muscles getting bigger and getting stronger, right? So that's why I tell a lot of my you know new novice clients, if, if not advanced clients, to think about the muscle that they're working, right? Even if they might not be contracting in the moment, if they're staying tight and they're staying engaged, that we're actually having some of the same benefit and crossover effect. Um, and in a one book I actually read called Peak, um, they talk about the Soviet Union athletes um, and during you know, Soviet Olympic athletes were divided into four groups to train for several hours each week, um, obviously getting ready for the Olympics. Now, the four groups were divided into four different approaches. Each group had a different percentage of physical versus mental training. So group one had 100% physical training, 0% mental training. So they would just approach their sport and they would practice it, but they wouldn't think about it afterwards. They wouldn't do any visualization. Um, any kind of mental reps were done. Group two, 75% physical training, 25% mental training. Group three, group three sorry, 50% physical training, 50% mental training. Group four, 25% physical training, 75% mental training. Of course, you know where this is kind of going. When compared for performance, group four had the best outcomes of all four groups. And the less mental training had a training, a group practice, the worse their outcomes were. So group four had the best outcomes of all four groups and the least amount of mental training had the worst outcome. So it just shows regardless of how valid this study is, obvious, um, obviously the Russians did really, really well in the Olympics and I'm sure there was some, some aspect of uh, you know, steroid use, but it's kind of irrelevant considering that those same athletes that were taking steroids and they were doing 100% physical training were outperformed by those that were doing less work but thinking about the success more freak, more frequently. And that's super important to go into the you know prevalence of taking the time to visualize and seeing yourself in a successful state of being. Yes, put in the physical work, but when we're talking about you putting in some mental reps, it's just as critical for us to take the time to develop our mental game to enhance our mental training and visualization, seeing yourself do it is a massive part of that. Okay, guys. Number two, share your goals. So there's been there's a TED talk a few years back where they talked about, and it was, it was a big TED talk, right? I think it had like six million hits to talk about how sh- sharing your goals would actually be counterproductive, that you would have less chance of achieving your goals when you vocalize and you share your goals with somebody else. Um, I didn't dive into the TED Talk, but that was kind of the the premise of it. To don't 
share your goals with anybody, which which seems odd. It seems like that's a as a backwards concept. And and now more research is coming out, kind of showing the opposite and showing that the counteract to that. Um, which wouldn't you know at the end of the day it makes sense, right? Like sharing our goals with other people, it creates this form of accountability. It uh, it creates some form of. I want to say you know realness to it. There's some actual tangible effect to when we talk about our goals and we vocalize it to other people that it seems real. It se- it seems like it actually has some some growth behind it. Where when we just you know have our goal inside us and we never share it, it doesn't seem real. It just seems like a dream. Um, and like I said, research is now starting to back that up. So out of um, Ohio State University back in 2019, they showed and they found that people showed greater goal commitment and performance when they told their goal to someone they believed had a higher status than themselves. So I think that might be the disconnect, right? Depending on who we tell about our goals can have a direct influence on whether we achieve our goals or whether those goals just kind of bypass and nothing is achieved, right? And so the big takeaway is telling the right people about our goals, right? We don't want to share our goals with someone who um, is indifferent towards it, someone that might be even negative towards it, um, or someone that we don't care about their opinion. We don't care if we fail in front of them because we don't really respect their opinion or not. So the reason being that most of these individuals that were successful in these studies is that they cared about how the higher status person would evaluate them. And the reason being is you don't want them, these higher status individuals, to think less of you because you didn't attain your goal. And it's kind of going into that fact that we want to be accepted by the successful individuals, the people that we respect and admire and have influence, right? Because we admire them, right? We want people that we admire to like us and respect us and trust us. So naturally, when we give our word and we share our goals with these individuals, we're going to want to please them. Um, Another study was actually very interesting. They had three groups of students working with lab assistants that were checking up on their work. Um, the work was you know, somewhat irrelevant, but it was basically moving their cursor to a number 50 on a computer screen in an allotted period of time. And there are three groups, like I said, and the results showed that participants who shared their goals with the higher status lab assistant, which the, they had basically three lab assistants yeah, one was dressed in like a suit, dressed really well, um, basically, you know, looked like someone of, of real status. The other lab assistant was a student, um, student teacher, just kind of dressed casually, like kind of student wear, didn't really look like he had um, much relevance or, or status, just looked like another another student, another peer of theirs. And then the third group didn't have anyone checking up on them. So that that's the scenario. The one group had someone who looked like they had a little bit more credibility and status. Another person that didn't really look like they had a lot of status. They almost looked like an individual, a peer. And another group didn't have anybody. Um, and the results showed, of course, that participants who shared their goals with a higher status lab assistant reported that they were more committed to achieving the goal they set out for themselves. So that's a huge part of it, right? And, and it just shows the the relevance to, obviously, when we're sharing our goals with somebody to have that respect for the person to share it with somebody that we, we care about if we fail or not. Right. And that's why you usually see with work, 
right? You see someone who works with a boss that they really respect uh, and they have a great relationship with. And they don't want to let that boss down, right? They don't want to be a failure or, or a liability within that work environment for that boss because they have that respect and they have that admiration. When we don't care about the boss. We can give two craps about you know, not doing the work or not or underperforming. Like we, we don't even think about it twice because there's a zero connection between what I do and how you think about me and, and that doesn't affect how I think about myself. But when someone we respect looks down on us for not doing a great job or is a little bit disappointed, that hits differently. Um, so that's what the research is really saying now. So it's not about not sharing your goals or sharing your goals perhaps, but if you're going to share your goals, which obviously the research shows is is going to increase your likelihood of success, share it with somebody that you want to impress or somebody that has your best interest or someone that you admire. So someone that increases your accountability just for the simple fact that you don't want to let them down. And that's it. That's a huge aspect because sometimes we don't care if we let ourselves down. We'll, we'll rationalize. We'll, we'll make excuses. Um, and we'll convince ourselves that it's not a big deal. But when we do it in the face, in the presence of somebody else that we actually um, respect, it can have a huge factor on whether we stay committed or we don't, and which is going to lead into our next point in about two seconds here. Okay, so number three, probably, probably the biggest one. I, I know I said there's no really particular order for these, but I want to say this one is probably the most applicable to you achieving success. Um, or increase in the likelihood of success, at least. And that's accountability. Um, having somebody to check in on you, to give you advice, to provide insight, to mentor you, and to to check up on your development is huge. To make sure you're doing what you know the right things. That is a huge advantage. And that's why when you see people, I obviously I work in the fitness industry as a coach. I also work as a consultant where I sit down with individuals that just signed up to the gym. Um, and we talk about their goals and we break down what they're looking to accomplish. And, and my goal is to decipher what the best approach for that individual would be. And typically, for the majority, most people have lost momentum. They've been off working out for a while. They've maybe never been in a gym or they're very inexperienced, you know, it's, it's few and far between that look like they really know what they're doing. And even those individuals would benefit from accountability. Um, but for the majority, it's, it's at a high level that if we're looking to get success, they're going to need some form of accountability. And, and the studies in the, the stats show, right, in gyms um, about there's a 95% or 90% increase in likelihood, which we're going to get into some stats in a second, of people succeeding when they have a personal trainer working with them and that there's about a 70 to 80 percent drop off of individuals coming to the gym consistently which is like one to three times per month that they come to the gym um, over a period of time so the drop off rate is huge so when someone sits down with me initially and i talk about hey like the best approach for you after what you told me and what you're looking to accomplish and your experience and your knowledge base would be for you to work with someone and, and they might get maybe a little resistant to it because it's the unknown, or it might be a financial burden, whatever the case is, my job is to then, you know, educate them on why it's so important for them to have some form of outside accountability. And that's not, and what they'll say is they, well, you know, my friend comes to the gym with me, but their friend doesn't care. And they don't care if they fail in front of them. So we talk about sharing our goals, they're sharing their goals with somebody that has zero interest in whether you achieve your goal or not. 
right? And you don't care how you look in front of that friend. With a trainer, we've immediately created some form of hierarchy that you want to you want to listen to, right? You want to listen to this professional who has taken the time to program for you, put together a plan of success. Um, and the studies are very, again, secure on this as well. Uh, the American Society of Training and Development did a study on accountability and, and found that you will have a 65% in, um, increase of completing a goal if you commit to someone, okay? That's, you know, maybe that, commit, that might be committing to someone you know, person that you respect, um, and you have a specific accountability appointment with a person you've committed to, you will increase your chance of success by up to 95%. So the difference is between the two is 65%, you have someone kind of checking in on you, right? Uh, and maybe you're discussing your goals, that kind of thing. With a 95% increase of success is specific, specific accountability, right? And it's an appointment with a person you've committed to, which would be like a trainer or a nutritionist, uh, or a life coach, or a business mentor, someone who is, who you've committed to seeing once a week, three times a week, once a month, whatever it is, right? There's that real connection and form of accountability um, created. That will increase your likelihood of success up to 95%. That's why, that was a huge reason that I've really you know, transitioned into the field that I'm in and, and started taking on different roles as a coach, whether it's nutrition coach or performance coach or a personal trainer was because I knew that people had a much greater likelihood of accomplishing their goal when they're working with someone like myself, right? And why would I not want to provide that service when, if the stats show 95% increase, that that means there's a 95% decrease when you don't have that specific accountability appointment, right? Why wouldn't you want to increase it by such a high rate? Um, and there's a lot of reasons people will talk about, whether it's, you know, financial commitments or time restraints, all stuff that, you know, it's just noise at the end of the day. But the accountability factor is just so strong. It's so relevant to someone accomplishing their goals that, you know, everybody at least to, to build some momentum and, and get some confidence and to gain some knowledge and insight on how to approach their goal in a healthy manner should do. They should invest in that and they should increase that form of accountability to some degree. Um, and whether it's a 95% increase when you have specific appointments or if we're looking at just a 65% by committing to someone um, and creating some form of a relationship where two people are equally accountable for one another, that's a hell of a step forward. Right? But, but trying to do it on your own when you know it hasn't worked for the, in the last five to 10 years, whether that's in business, um, whether that's real in you know personal relationships, um, in development of you emotionally um, or psychologically, or obviously in in the form of health and fitness, you got to make sure if you really want to accomplish, if you're serious about it, it's something that you really have as as a top priority that you take the time to increase some form of accountability. If not, you just decrease your likelihood of success by a massive margin. Okay, guys. Number four, start small. And this one's really important, right? Because I think sometimes when we get into a new goal, um, it becomes this huge endeavor, right? It's, it's rarely I want to lose 30 pounds, but you know what? 
at first I want to burn some some fat. I want to, I want to keep some muscle. I want to increase my metabolism. I want to you know rebalance my hormones. I want to improve how my body feels. I want to improve my sleep and I want to improve my stress quality. No, it's usually I want to lose 30 pounds. That's all they care about. So for that individual, all they care about is getting to the goal. Doesn't matter how fast, or sorry, it does matter how fast, sorry. Um, they want to get there as fast as possible. So they overcommit. It's I'm all in, right? We're going to do six days a week of this. You know, I'm going to you know turn my life around. I'm going to adopt five new habits this week. I'm going to eliminate this and that. And this, again, it goes across, across the board to all other fields of, of success, right? They try to completely change the person they are within a week. And that's just not going to happen. Like you can't form habits that way. It's just too overwhelming. It's too much too soon. So number four is start small and do the work for a reason, right? It's adopting tiny habits, right? Do something, right? If you can improve on who you are by 1% today, that's a huge accomplishment. Like that, that's a win. That's you moving in the right direction, right? Um, and I have a quote here that says, to make a habit like practice stick, you must make it small enough for it to be unfailing, consistent from the very beginning. He uses the extreme example of floss just one tooth. Do just two push-ups. Walk for three minutes. Drink just one glass of water each day. Write a single paragraph. Or perhaps practice just one measure of music for five or ten minutes. The goal at this point is not volume. The goal is to make the habit automatic. So start by setting yourself up to succeed by giving yourself goals that are easy to meet. Makes sense, right? Do something that you can't fail at. If you say tomorrow I'm going to go for a one-hour walk or I'm going to go for a 5K run, like sure, that'd be great if you did that. And if you do that, amazing. How sustainable is that every single day? You want to start small and collect wins because when you collect wins, you feel better about yourself. When you feel better about yourself, you continue on the journey of self-improvement and development, right? So when I think about me writing a book at the end of a year and I and I have this new idea and, and I just finished an ebook, right, that ended up being, you know, about 100 pages long, over 30,000 30, words, and it started with one sentence, one idea. It started with one one day of research or one moment of research where I said, hey, I want to talk about, um, you know, fundamental principles uh, that individuals can take to improve their nutrition process. And it started with, okay, like, let's talk about eating more protein. So I wrote one sentence, one paragraph, and then I provided one reference. Amazing. And then, then it kind of just piled on and, and, and the momentum continued. I did one thing after another and it was day after day. And before you know it, at the end of a few months, you have a 100-page ebook with a whole bunch of references, and you're like, whoa, this came together. And it's happened plenty of times. When I started a blog, I did one blog at the, you know, for the first day of January 1st, and my goal is to do a blog every single day of about 250 to 500 words. And by the end of the year, I had 365 blogs done, small blogs, and that equated to 90,000 words. That's an incredible amount of volume, but it didn't start with me saying I'm going to create 365 blogs or I'm going to write an ebook. It was more so I'm going to show up tomorrow and I'm going to do something. And some days it was really crappy work produced. Some days it was very little, right? But I did it anyways. And you start small, right? So write a bit each day was a great principle. And you'll have a book by the end of the year. 
save a little bit each month and you'll have a nice savings put aside to use on whatever you like. Uh, and the key here is to focus doing the actual work. That's all you should focus on is do something, right? Do the work tomorrow. Start small. Don't overthink the process. Don't get overwhelmed by what you're trying to accomplish and, and try to speed up the process because when you try to speed up the process, you get overexhausted, you get overwhelmed, and you get defeated because the process is never that quick and it's never going to be developed to that extent that quickly. So you need to adopt the strategy of I'm going to do these, I'm going to have these micro goals, right? I'm going to approach my goal is to write, you know, 10 chapters and that's the book by the end of the year. Month one, I'm going to do one chapter and one chapter can be 10 pages. Okay. So now that you have 10 pages in one month that you have to write, that is very small now. That's equating to one page every three days, right? That's one paragraph a day. And it sounds small, it sounds insignificant, but over time, these things really pile up. So the focus then should be becoming 1% better every day. And this is a simple, practical way to achieve big goals. 1% seems like a small amount, whether it maybe it might be even 0.1%. And yes, it is. It's, it's very tiny, but it's easy and it's doable and it's applicable to most things you want to do or accomplish in life. Um, and the, his book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg, um, and the, the book's called Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. He has something that is called the three-step loop. So first, there is a cue, so a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode in which habit to use. Then there's routine, which can be physical or mental or emotional. Finally, there is reward, which helps your brain figure out if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. Over time, this loop becomes more and more automatic. The cue and reward becomes intertwined until a powerful sense of anticipation and craving emerges. Basically, what it's saying is we have a cue to show up, we do something. It turns into a routine. That routine creates some form of reward where we're like, wow, I feel good about that. Before you know it, it becomes automatic. And again, becomes one of those things that you're actually anticipating and craving to do because you see the development appreciate. Okay, guys, number five, do something towards your goal every single day. And this is somewhat connected to number four of start small with the small habits. When we talk about doing something towards your goal every single day, I'm a, like, I, I really mean that. I don't think that you should be a writer four days a week. I don't think that you should approach physical health and improvement three days a week. I don't think it's healthy or it's, in, or it's possible to be a leading business professional by showing up to work four days a week and putting in a good day's work half the time and that doesn't mean you got to show up and work seven days a week doesn't mean you need to go intense in the gym seven days a week it doesn't mean you have to write an incredible amount every single day but what it means is do something that improves the, the person you are going towards that goal right so it might be rather than writing because i'm trying to become a you know a writer for example i could write a sentence i, I would advocate that but it might be doing one day of research on how to become a better writer. It might be doing some reading and research to add to your chronicles. Uh, it might be in terms of working out a day where we hike or a day that we do mobility or a day that we walk 
for 90 minutes. And then other days where we have some intense resistance training, other days that we have some aerobic work, um, or other days it's more of a much more relaxed, passive walk and stretch, um, or some meditative work that actually will go into your next workout. So it, it's there's always a bigger ecosystem towards all these things, right? When you think about being a writer, it's not always about writing. It's about the other aspects to enhance that skill. When you think about improving your physical health, not just about working out or exercising, there's so many different avenues to make yourself stronger and more effective the next time around. And this goes into building momentum because momentum is just so critical, right? If you don't have momentum, it's going to, like if you lose momentum, sorry, you're going to notice how fast your goal goes away from you and how fast you you lose motivation towards that goal. When you do have momentum, when something sticks with you and you're just building on it day after day after day and it feels like you're just compiling all these wins, you feel like a champ and, and it's easy to continue on your goal because you keep feeling better and better and better the more you do it. Um, long research traditions suggest that psychological momentum plays a critical role in goal pursuit and achievement. Accordingly, sequential runs of success are an essential feature of high levels of performance, meaning that better performers perceive and experience momentum of success more frequently. They ride it as long as they can, and as a result, they become more successful in the end. The main psychological processes that underpin momentum effects are confidence, perceived competence, so seeing yourself as a skilled individual, and internal ability, skill, attribution. So actually becoming a better version of yourself and it becomes easier because of it, right? You become stronger, you become a better writer, you become a better musician, um, you become a better professional, you know how to maximize your time more effectively, you have more influence. All those things play a massive role. So again, when we're talking about you accomplishing your goal, yes, I would advocate, and as you know from my podcast and you know from me and my website and who I am on Instagram, is Brandon Rinka365. And that's not just a catchy moniker to say, hey, all right, 365 days a year, I get after it. But I do to some degree. I find time for all these things. I nurture all of the pillars that I really care about to some degree every single day. Some days it's to an extreme. Some days it's very passively where it's just getting steps in and maybe doing some fascia release. So when I'm talking about working out, it might be just to to release my fascia so I feel stronger the next day to maximize my performance. And I've, and I've gone back on being this intense guy and more into the therapeutic side of things because I understand for lasting, continuous momentum to be built – and to see my goals become achieved, I have to be willing to reduce my intensity. And I have to be willing to see other avenues of treatment as success. And that's in business, um, whether I'm working on a project and producing content or if I'm reading and doing research and, and highlighting and putting things together. All those things are built around my one goal, even though they look very different. So doing something towards your goal every single day. And again, it could be very simple that day. Very simple, five big deep breaths for your mental or physical health, right? And and, and the more you do these things, the the easier they're going to become, the more automatic they're going to become that we just talked about, the idea of development into an automatic habitual routine, the more we do something. Why? Because we feel good with it. We feel better. We feel more connected to who we are. Okay, guys, number six, invest in your goal. Now, this is pretty straightforward. 
right? If you want to improve and you want to create greater success in your life, knowing more, having more confidence, having more motivation, um, an increased skill set is going to benefit you greatly. Um, I remember I worked for the direct marketing firm and it was a manager and training program where you would you know, learn the sales and then you would teach the sales and you know, the idea was to run your own company and business within 10 to 12 months. And that, that was the legitimate side of things. It's just, it was a really hard job, right? Commission-based, heard a lot of no's. It was a grind, big time grind. Um, but they had these big um, conferences every, I want to say four to six months. They, they usually held them in, in Dallas. Um, and the conferences were the top leaders which were like the top sales reps would go to these things. They had the, the top owners that were, you know, really producing high numbers and high revenue that um, that quarter, and they would share advice and they have presentations on how, you know how to build a strong team or how to build a a winning mindset or how to build you know an an amazing company right. And they would just go over all the things that have worked for them, and they all were in your position at one point. They were all in your shoes. They were all once. The individual who walked through the door to sell some stuff, and now they're running a business. And every time that we would go to the conferences, I went there twice, and then I started sent. I sent one employee there uh, when I had my business up in BC. And you come back with this: I'm taking over the world mentality, right? And, and nothing changed really, right? other than you learning some stuff, you being motivated, and you seeing something from a new perspective. And I think when we educate ourselves and we improve our insight and we improve our knowledge base, we have this intrinsic motivation and passion that comes out because it's it feels real. It feels like, oh my God, I have a breakthrough moment. And those breakthroughs are just so critical and beneficial to one's development and one's rate of success because we usually don't have these breakthrough moments every single day. Right, unless we actively go searching for them. So when I talk about investing in your goal, it can be you know whether you want to be a, a better manager, whether you want to be a stronger business professional, whether you want to thrive in a relationship, whether you want to become someone with an incredible physique and health and someone of great longevity. Books, articles, conferences. I just mentioned workshops, right? Um, improving your ed- education, going and um, getting new certifications, taking courses, hiring coaches. All those things are an investment, right? If I'm buying a book, I'm investing some money into a book. If I'm going to conferences and workshops and, and courses, yeah, that's an external um, cost, right? I'm, I'm, I'm applying a cost to get educated. Coaches, of course, a cost is involved. Articles, time, right? Searching for proper articles, a great you know resource page for you to learn about. And I have, I do all these things, right? Articles, every single day I'm reading articles, whether it's scholarly articles or whether it's articles with a ton of, you know, references and citations with it that uh, are on a fitness page for me. I'm learning about that. Books, of course, that's something I advocate greatly and I'm, I'm always reading. Like I just have so many books on this, too many at once where I get like, you know, 50% done of all, all of them where I should just be, you know, nailing one down. But I'm always reading, right? I'm always trying to educate myself because I, I, I like business. I like, you know, human performance. I love health and fitness and nutrition, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, conferences and workshops, obviously, is a little bit different right now. There's not a whole bunch of conferences and workshops going on. But when you have the opportunity, those things just jack you up, man. They they build you in some, into a machine. The excitement and the energy is just so high because you, you, you see 
people like you who are succeeding at an incredibly high level and hopefully they're doing it from a place of you know intrinsic fulfillment and they're really happy doing so it's not just make more money kind of speech but it's like maximizing performance and, and health and wellness and and those things are just so contagious and that's why you, you see how popular these tony robin conferences are right and people are paying five to ten grand to show up for three two to three days because the energy that they take away from it and the insight is just so critical right and, and it builds this momentum again that we already talked about and, and trying to create success it requires an investment whether it's in time whether it's in energy whether it's in, in money right right now there's a lot of hours i work that I don't get paid for right i have about 20 hours a week i work paid right whether a trainer coach whatever consultant and then i have another 20 that i've i've actively chosen the schedule to work on writing to work on research to work on new business ventures and projects and, and tools and resources for individuals and i've chosen that I've in, i'm investing my time and consequently my money because i'm I, I could be taking on more clients to make more money but investing those things to build something that I'm actually truly passionate about. Um, and that's what success requires. It requires you to turn off the TV at night and do some research. It requires you to show up and put in the work when you really don't feel like it, right? That, that's what an investment is. It's taking a bit of a risk, a bit of a chance, and, and, you're, and you're taking a chance on yourself. And you're you know, eliminating that immediate gratification for the greater good. And all those things, we all have the opportunity to invest in ourselves. But it's so important, right? Because when we keep hearing that narrative, that positive narrative and energy well, through books and articles and conferences and workshops and education and, and with coaches and the accountability we already talked about and taking courses, we just that, – that's our narrative. That's what we believe in. That's how we think, right? It takes over, right? That That is how I think now. I am programmed to think – one way in a good way right i have multiple narratives but the narrative is you know take fault here's step-by-step processes to become more successful and, and healthier and because i read it all the time my brain is flooded with this information which allows me to apply it with such greater ease now and fluidity because that's all i'm taking in rather than having this you know conflicting opinion and, and insight from the negative and the positive, all I'm taking in is the stuff that I want to know about and learn about and, and how it develops me is just is so prevalent and so important that I, I would advocate to every single individual that if you're trying to succeed to a high level in life, you need to invest your time. You need to invest your energy. You need to invest money. You need to invest in your goal to some degree a lot of the time. Conferences, yeah, way less than books and articles, right? Articles is an everyday thing. For the most part, books is an everyday thing. Conferences might be once a year, might be twice a year, whatever it is. Courses, one or two a year. Certifications, two to three, whatever it is. Coaches might have for a minimal period of time or a long period of time. But if you want your goal to achieve, those investments are going to pay massive dividends. Okay, guys, number seven of eight. Jumping into accepting failure as a learning tool. Big one. Absolutely huge. Let's get in some water there, guys. Sorry about that. But yeah, failure is a big one. Um, taking on a new endeavor, trying to create success in a new venture. 
you're ultimately probably going to fail to some degree. It doesn't mean you're going to completely fail and fall on your face, but you might trip, you might stumble. You're probably going to have all those things, right? The chances of you not doing that, very unlikely. Um, So we need to accept failure as a learning tool. If not, if you fail or if you lose momentum, if you fall off the horse and you just give up, of course, you're, 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 you are going to then, you know, consistently fail and you're never going to achieve your goal. So we need to see failure in a different light and with a different perspective and use failure as a, you know, and hit, uh, I want to say as a launching pad to almost create more success for you. Right. Um, and for me, that's, that's big for me. That's who I am. I, I take action. I do a lot of this stuff, um, on a whim, um, that I'm passionate about, you know, if I thought about something three to five times and I know it's something I want to do, I, I do it right. Because I know at this point I'm thinking about it enough where clearly I care about it. Clearly there's, there's some real, um, legitimate appreciation for what I'm trying to accomplish here. So I take action. Now, when I take action with that quick of a approach, that, there's an opportunity that I'm going to learn things I didn't know about, or I'm going to probably, you know, fall off the horse like I talked about and I'm going to fail a couple times here and there because I maybe didn't overthink the situation or didn't, you know, analyze it to the degree I needed to. Um, but research is now showing that that's probably a more beneficial approach than overanalyzing and having, you know, paralysis by analysis, which is the idea of we're paralyzed by indecision because we overanalyze the situation. We look at it from all angles, all sides, all possibilities, all hypotheticals that were like, whoa, I'm not going to do anything because the good's good, but man, the bad's bad. And we think about all the possibilities, the extremes, the lows, and we literally drive ourselves into a grave or of high stress in a position of inactivity because we've overthought it. What if I don't follow through? What if I waste the money? What if I try it myself and, and, and I do succeed? What if, what if, what if? You know what? We got to quit saying what if, man. If you want to do something, if you want to accomplish something in your life, you got to take action. You got to be a doer. You got to be someone who shows up and does, right? Nike, one of the best slogans, just do it. And it's so true. That's why it's so damn powerful is just do it. You want to do it, do it. You know, you can think about a million reasons as why not to do something. And a million people will back that up. They'll they'll, They'll support why you shouldn't do it. But most people, they run in the slow lane. That's what they do. That's their path. They don't know. Like 90% of people live a life of somewhat mediocrity, if not less. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a, but that's, that's the reality, right? The, six, the, the big successful individuals that are really living the life that they wanted to live and they created the life they wanted to cr- create, that's a small minority of individuals, right? Now, everyone's success looks different. Someone who's living like a good life, that could be a really successful life. That doesn't mean you have to make the most amount of money, but I'm talking about living the life that you really you really thought about wanting to live, right? You're not just settling. And if you want to be that kind of person, you can't overthink everything. You, got, you, got, you have to act because the majority of what you're going to hear is going to be why you shouldn't and why you can't and the hurdles, Right? So it's going to stop you. It's, good. it's going to make you halt the brakes because there's a million reasons not to do something. And that doesn't mean you have to be impulsive and you have to just quit your job tomorrow and try to become a freelance painter. No, do it intelligently. 
Be smart about it. Have an approach. Have a plan. But don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to stumble and not succeed out of the gate. If you really care about something, that's not your priority. You're not looking to make a quick buck. You're not looking to become the best tomorrow. You're doing it because it's the process, because you love it and you want to be successful in it and because that gives you everything that you want in life. And like I said, the research is backing this up now. So there was um, a study out of the University of Colorado Denver Business School that said, while success is surely sweeter than failure, it seems failure is a far better teacher. An organization that organizations that fail spectacularly often flourish more in the long run, according to a new study. We found that the knowledge gained of failure is much more prevalent, while success is surely sweeter. (laughs) I'm reading that one again there. But it says, whenever you have a failure, it causes a company to search for solutions. And when you search for solutions, it puts you as an executive in a different mindset, in a more open mindset. So again, what it's basically saying is, we're more creative, we're more resilient, we're more willing to think outside the box when we fail, right? Yeah, we all want to succeed, of course. Life would be pretty cool if we always just succeeded. But if you're looking to always succeed and always make the right move, you are going to limit the life you live. Because life isn't approached that way. It's not, it's not designed that way. We're designed to fall. We're designed to fail. We're designed to make mistakes, but then become stronger for it. Or... Use those failures and run from it and say, I don't want to ever experience that again. I choose to have those failures, but then learn from and really grow from it. I don't want to learn from somebody else's failures to a certain degree. Now, because there is that quote, right? A a smart man learns from his failures. A wise man learns from the failures of others. Yeah, of course. I want to be that wise man. But at the same time, there's so much practicality and validity behind you going out on your own and discovering a new approach because my approach is different than anybody's approach. I don't want to know what someone else did, right? I want, I want to have some insight. I want to have some, a roadmap to a certain degree, but I had to understand life is unpredictable and I can't control every single thing. And that if I want to make the move I want to make, if I want to create my path, which is a much different, I don't know anybody that's created my path, right? That I'm trying to do become an adventure athlete and, and take on these record first events and projects, you know, and, and, and do some crazy stuff and you know create new programs. Yeah, people have done that, but there's so many different things that people have never done before that I can't be afraid to fail on it because there is no roadmap. There is no blueprint. When it's out there, yeah, but when things are a bit capricious and we can't really control it, I'm not going to overthink that. I'm not going to be scared to fail. I'm going to use those failures as a springboard into development and growth from a personal stance, and I want to see that success come to fruition. Okay, guys, number eight, we're going to take this one home. I had a great list so far, but number eight is eliminate the noise, outside noise, right? Eliminate the talk, eliminate the negativity. And again, this goes right into the power of negativity and the influence negativity has on our decision-making, right? When somebody tells us, the potential negative of an outcome, if we approach it that way, we get we get deer caught in the headlights. We get scared. We, we become very resistant. We become hesitant. And we don't do anything because this is safe. Doing nothing is safe, right? Nothing's going on. It's quiet. It's calm. 
It's not chaotic. Doing something creates all that chaos. It creates the opposite of what we, what most people really want and is that calm state. But from an evolutionary standpoint, we're meant to be challenged. We're meant to get out there and do something a little bit outside of our comfort zone. So when I hear someone talk about the negative and talk about, oh my God, like there's the likelihood of you succeeding in this, I get jacked up on it because I don't, I don't care about, you know, the negativity, right? I want to know the solution. I want I want to figure out how to solve this problem, right? That's where my mind goes. But the studies are quite relevant towards the effect of negative evaluations and how they really affect how people think, right? So previous studies showed that negative evaluations had a greater impact on people than out than positive evaluations did. So for example, if a consumer reads a set of online reviews containing equal amounts of positive and negative reviews, their attitude toward the reviewed topic was more negative. So that's like the consumer. But even if you're someone who put out a product and all of a sudden I get 10 great positive comments comments, and I get one negative review talking about how crappy or useless it was, my mind is going to focus on the negative. So if we're looking for every single person to validate why we should be doing something, good luck isn't going to happen. Because it just won't. Most people don't think like that. Now you want 100% of people to think like that? You're crazy. Unless we're going out and we're actively searching for individuals that have done what we're looking to accomplish to a certain degree and we're looking for real practical advice, that might be a little bit different scenario. But the outside noise from the masses is going to tell you why you can't, why you shouldn't, why you should stay in your lane. People want people to stay in their lane. They don't want other people to be successful. They don't want people to do the thing that they didn't do or couldn't do or didn't attempt to do, right? So there's this negative bias that we put towards, and that's what it's called, right? There's this cognitive psychological research that shows negative utterances are perceived as stronger than positive ones. Negative utterances get more attention, arouse more emotions, and have more influence. So what it's saying is negative messages are powerful for evolutionary reasons. Now, if this really does make sense if you think about it, right? Um, because this negative messaging from an evolutionary standpoint is often associated with fear or danger, right? You know, our system gets aroused and, and it becomes as, oh my God, like I'm in danger, right? So we signify it. And positivity with security and safety. So we see security and safety is positive and fear and danger is negative. So anything that prov- you know promotes fear and danger or uncertainty or discomfort, we're going to see as negative. Anything that we feel as secure and calm and safe, we're going to see as positive. And at a cognitive level, a person automatically pays more attention to the unpleasant, the negative, than to the pleasant, positive. This psychological phenomenon is called the negative bias recipient behavior and are stored better and longer in memory, which makes sense, right? From a biological standpoint, we need to respond to the negative because that has more, that's a greater consequence. That has us maybe being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, where the positive means I'm safe. So I don't only need to address the positive, but the negative I do have to address because it could be life or death. And regardless of where we are now, right? From an evolutionary standpoint, we don't, we're not living in that world in that time. Biologically, we're still programmed to think like that. So we're still programmed to address the negative 
and fix the negative rather than focus on the positive. So knowing that there is this preconceived biological negative bias, we need to be aware that our head's going to go there and that it's just a system of our programming. It's a system of how we were created and, and brought up through this world and that is normal, right? It's normal to feel these things, but we can't allow that outside noise to really dictate how we move forward or we're going to constantly be, begin to neglect the positives of certain situations and all we're going to focus on is why we shouldn't or can't do something. So we have to do an active job of eliminating outside influence and noise, especially when it's coming from the masses who haven't attempted, let alone achieved what they wanted to, right? And that's the majority. The majority is going to tell you a story of why they didn't. They're going to tell you a story rather than share a result with you. So we have to be mindful of that. And guys, with that, that takes care of the podcast today. Been a great episode. Love talking about this kind of stuff. You can always find more free resources at brandrinka365.com. I also have my training programs, whether it's nutrition, performance, or personal training, online programming, fitness and programming. is going to get actual real results. Visit brandrinka365.com. And of course, on Instagram, where I produce most of my content, daily content that is, through stories and through posts, is brandonrinka365. That is my handle. Like always, guys, please leave a rating. Share this podcast with another individual that would actually benefit from hearing it. Subscribe and listen for the next available podcast coming out weekly here on the Fear Being Average podcast. Guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you on the next one.